to Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. Today's episode, take a trip to the West Coast, to Leslie's home park, Disneyland, just to give you a brief overview of what to know, what to do, and how to plan if you plan to take a trip to the original Disney theme park. Find all the episodes of the podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. And if you've got any listener questions for our upcoming listener questions show, please contact us, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at WDWDeciphered on Twitter, or on our Facebook page, DisneyDeciphered. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. And welcome back to Disney Deciphered. And uh, so again, we are going to take a little detour from Walt Disney World. Um, We had some feedback, including from Gretchen, who contacted us on our Disney Deciphered contact page that we did not even know exists. So I apologize again for taking so long to get back to you, Gretchen. But uh, people have been asking, and Leslie is an expert about what are some of the basics that we need to know about Disneyland. So we thought it's about time to do a Disneyland 101 episode. We recorded 40 episodes and... Finally, Leslie, I will let you off your leash and let you talk about your home park. That's awesome. I'm so excited. All this hard work for nearly a year, and now I get to talk about the park I know best. Wow, it has been quite a long time. Yeah. That's Um, right. And as we've said on other episodes, maybe don't go listen to the old stuff. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Listen to all of it. (laughs) That's true. Let's get started. Disneyland, if I'm not mistaken, is in Orange County, outside of about an hour outside of L.A., uh, pending traffic, of course. Of course, pending traffic. And yeah, it's it's in Anaheim. I live in Northern California, just so folks know. So it's a pretty short plane flight for me, um, about a six to eight hour drive, depending on traffic from where I am. But I go often, very often, even more often in the last couple of years since my, my blog is a lot about Disneyland. And uh, I've been twice already this fall for Halloween time and I'm going for the Christmas holidays next week. So obviously by the time this this airs, probably I will have already been at the holidays. Nobody likes a braggart, Leslie. Nobody I likes know, a braggart. No. <laughs> so uh, I, I do have a serious question for you um, besides me making fun of you and being green with envy. You coming from Northern California, do you usually fly into John Wayne, which is the local airport to Orange County, or do you fly into LAX? Because someone like me looking for direct flights, I'm mostly going to be going to LAX, but... yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're coming from the East Coast, you're probably going to have to go to LAX if you want to find a nonstop flight. But for me in California, I always almost always go into John Wayne Santa Ana Airport, which is just a 20 minute ride to the front gates of Disneyland. I sometimes actually also use Long Beach Airport, and I'm actually starting to use it a little bit more this year because Southwest has increased its frequency down there, and, and Long Beach can sometimes just be cheaper. Is it close? Is Long Beach South? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's south and kind of west-ish. Um, it's definitely much closer than LAX. It's about a 30-minute Uber ride um, compared to a 20-minute Uber ride to John Wayne. So it's really not that much difference time or money-wise for me. But LAX is a whole different ballgame, and it puts you into much greater traffic possibilities if you go into LAX. But of course, if you can save yourself the flight connection, then you know I'm not going to tell East Coasters that they have to go into one of the more regional airports, um, you know, do what works and, and saves you overall travel time. Yeah, that's good to know. LAX is a horrific airport to fly into, uh, ladies and gentlemen. 
However, Boston has a direct to Long Beach on JetBlue, so maybe I'll look into that next time. If you have a yeah, if you have a Long Beach option or a John Wayne option, then I would I would be willing to pay more for that. Um, how much more? You know, depends on your budget and your family size, but that's my recommendation. Got it. So Disneyland is a lot more compact than Walt Disney World. There are only two parks, and tell me how does it work exactly geographically? I've read that like downtown Disney is kind of like in the middle of them. It kind of like connects the two parks, kind of like how they have it at Universal. Uh, is that right? Sort of. So it's more like the parks are directly across from each other. There's this um, little esplanade in the middle, and then sort of off to the side, a side shoot is where downtown Disney is. So everything really at Disneyland is all right there within easy, easy walking distance. I mean, you can walk from one park to the end of downtown Disney in under 15 minutes. Um, of course, if you're in the way back of the park, maybe a little longer than that, but but everything really is right there. And that totally makes the Disneyland strategy very different from Disney World. I mean, park hopping is easy. The hotels can be right there, both on and off property. And you don't need a car if all you're going to do is go to Disneyland. Um, in fact, a car is just going to cost you in parking and you're never going to use it. So yeah, it's it's... I really like it. I mean, it's, it, if you've been to Universal Orlando, it's very similar in terms of the layout, except for the hotels are actually even even closer. And the layout of the actual parks, is it hub and spoke like Magic Kingdom is? Or like in terms of navigating the park, do you have to do a lot of backtracking or does it flow pretty well? It flows quite well. It's hub and spoke in Disneyland Park. It's very similar to Magic Kingdom in terms of the layout. There are a couple of a couple of differences um, that always, when I go to one park and then I go to the other, then my map the map in my head gets confused because I'm like, wait, this is not here. And 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 uh, you know, if I if I go to the parks close in close proximity, it, it definitely uh, confuses me on occasion. But yeah, it's, if you know Magic Kingdom, then Disneyland Park is going to be very similar. Uh, Disney California Adventure, the second park is mostly it's not quite as the flow's not quite as good just in terms of how the layout is and right now a bugs land is closed for renovation they're turning that into a superhero marvel land in the next couple of years and with that being closed in the thick of things it definitely makes the flow not as good but you know that's only temporary and hopefully that'll that'll come back in a couple in a year or two or not a year in two and <laughs> three and we'll we'll get that flow back soon yeah, so it's my understanding that the off-property hotels are in much closer physical proximity than the off-property hotels at Walt Disney World. So my question is, you know, and I assume that Disney hotels, the three Disney hotels at Disneyland costs a bit or quite a bit more than the off-property hotels. So how does that kind of calculus work out deciding between on and off-property at Disneyland since, you know, being off-property is much more convenient at Disneyland than it would be, say, at Disney World? Because you can walk to the parks from a lot of the off-property hotels, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. You you can absolutely walk to the park from a lot of the off-property hotels. The, there's sort of a hotel row on Harbor Boulevard that is across from the pedestrian entrance to Disneyland. And there are a lot of hotels. I mean, seriously, you can walk out of the front gate of the, of the hotel and you can be at the security checkpoints in five or ten minutes. And... I have a couple of posts on my site that we'll link to in the show notes where I've you know, mentioned some of those hotels. I've stayed at the the Fairfield in Anaheim Resort. Um, there's a, a new courtyard that's got an awesome water park that's right there if you need your Marriott points like I do. There are a lot of independent hotels that are not affiliated with any chain and you can kind of get them on the cheap. And most of the hotels are pretty basic. 
that are within walking distance. So you have to keep that in to, you know, in mind when booking the hotels. I mean, they're not dirty. They're not unsafe. They're just not fancy. And if you want fancy, then you probably make sense to book one of the Disneyland hotels, but they're at a huge price premium. There are no such, there's no such thing as a value resort at uh, Disneyland. Unfortunately, they don't have those tiers and the cheapest you can usually find them is right around 300. I mean, maybe Paradise Pier, which is the least fancy of the resorts can go underneath that. But these days, and then, you know, the Grand California and the Disneyland Hotel, the other two hotels can be five, six, seven hundred $700 a night sometimes during peak periods. Yeah. So the one thing I'll add is a um, friend of the show, Bob Dwyer, who writes over at Milenomics and is also working with myself on our Disney Miles and Points website, milestothemagic.com. He notes that when you're going to Disneyland, if you're staying off site, it does kind of like break the magic a little bit because when you're on site, you kind of can just stay within that Disney bubble. But when you're off site, um, you kind of lose a little bit when breaking the magic. And so that's an argument for springing for that extra. It's not kind of like a tangible benefit, but you know, there's something about that Disney magic or Disney happiness, as we should say at Disneyland, that you know, you kind of can't put a price on in some ways. But obviously Disney Disney does put a price on it. And that price is expensive. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I don't feel like you lose as much of the Disney bubble if you're staying within walking distance. Now, if you're staying in a hotel where you, you have to get on a shuttle um, or you have to drive and park and, you know, you definitely lose that. But if you can be back in your room in 10 minutes, you don't feel like you're that far outside the bubble. And some of the hotels do make an attempt to have some theming that is sort of magical in its own way. Like the Fairfield actually has rooms that are themed um, with Disney decor. Like there's a cars theme room we stayed in before, uh, once before. So you can still get some of that and they'll have, you know, Mickey statues in the, in the lobby and all of that stuff. And then like, for example, the, the Howard Johnson, the Hojo has got a pirate pool. Well, that's pretty cool. It's not Disney themed, but the kid, your kids are going to enjoy it. So I, I don't feel like you lose it as much. I, I am someone who almost always stays uh, within walking distance. I don't want to get on a shuttle. I having young kids for, the last couple of years, I don't want to fold a stroller up and have to wait on a bus that's not going to get me there when I want to get there. I think it's worth the premium to stay within walking distance. Got it. That's good advice. So Disneyland's a lot smaller. Does that make the crowds feel worse? Is it about the same? Do they, at least on New Year's Eve, Disney World starts like turning people away? Does that happen a lot at Disneyland because it's smaller? Or you know, what's the general feel for how crowds feel there? Yeah, crowds, the elephant in the room when it comes to Disneyland. I thought Dumbo was the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> boo boo me boo me okay continue puns so yeah the crowds are really an issue at disneyland and not always and and they don't have you know they don't have the the reaching capacity problem except for at those peak times like the you know right around christmas and new years that 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 really doesn't happen all the time so you, you don't need to worry that on a regular vacation that the park is going to reach capacity but you do need to worry that some of the walkways are going to feel really tight or the lines are going to be really long the park you know because the layout is very similar at Disneyland Park to Magic Kingdom, it, it is, but it also was built first and the walkways are narrower and there are these choke points that you'll definitely feel. And so if you're somebody who gets a little claustrophobic, I wouldn't go on a day where that's, you know, an eight or a nine or a 10 on those crowd calendars because you will absolutely feel it. And I'm frankly 
very, very scared to see what's going to happen when Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opens in summer of 2019 at Disneyland because the crowds could get (laughs) very, very bad and and really, really bad. And the other thing that you have to, to note when it comes to Disneyland is there are a lot of locals who are annual pass holders and there are a lot more people in the Los Angeles area than there are people in the Orlando area. And so there are just a lot more, um, the locals can have a much bigger effect on the park. So, you know, I'm always watching school calendars in LA and Orange County and San Diego to see what, where the, the crowds are going to ebb and flow. And, and it's, it's weird, you know, look for the days that the locals are blacked out on their annual passes and, you know, just prepare yourself for crowds and, and, and rope drop. I mean, that's my strategy always at Disneyland. I am there. I'm in line 45 minutes before the park uh, opens. I'm getting at the front of that rope drop line. I'm making a a dash to the rides that I want to ride. I'm getting fast passes. I'm getting, you know, making the most of the, all the hacking that you can do. And if you're willing to hack, then you can do Disneyland really well. I mean, there will be crowds, but you won't feel their effect except for really on the, the busiest, busiest days of the year. Yeah, so talking about getting on rides, people were not too happy about this, but Disneyland did introduce that paid max pass option for getting fast passes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So a little over a year ago, um, in the summer of 2017, Disney moved its entire fast pass system to a digital fast pass system. So now instead of getting those little paper slips that you might remember from Disney World back in the day, you would scan your your park ticket and your fast pass would be kind of tied to the barcode on your park ticket. And at the same time, they made something available called MaxPass, which allows you to do all that fast pass booking on your smartphone, but at a price at $10 per person per day. And, you know, my family used to send runners to go get fast passes. My poor husband would get an extra couple miles on his Fitbit because he would be running to grab all the fast passes for us. But now you can do it on your phone and it doesn't get a ton of flack. You know, people are thought, you know, this, this, are they becoming universal? Are they making people pay for, you know, what used to be free? And I was a skeptic and I am a, an absolute convert these days. I will not go to the parks without MaxPass. It is worth every penny. It allows you to get so many more fast passes. It saves your legs. It is so, so amazing and and worth it. I'm, I'm scared Disney's going to increase the price on it and, you know, that will change the calculus. But if you're a, I ha- I'll, we'll leave a note, uh, a link in the show notes to my guide to MaxPass. But if you're on the fence, if, if you want to ride rides, especially if you're going on a Disney day, MaxPass is, is worth the upcharge. And, you know, so Disney's got me. They got me paying it. Yeah. And just to clarify, even though it is digital, you still have to run to those kiosks to get it if you do not have the max pass, correct? Right, right. So if you want to, if you don't want to pay and you want to just get fast passes the old school way, you're running to the kiosk outside every ride, you're scanning your ticket, it will uh, tell you, give you, it will actually give you a paper slip that is a reminder. And then when you come back to the ride, you're scanning your, uh, your park ticket to, to get in the fast pass line. It's still, you know, especially for families with maybe young kids who aren't doing a lot of the thrill rides, maybe not as necessary to have max pass and just getting a couple of fast passes, uh, manually makes sense. But if you've got kids who are six, seven, eight, you know, that range and older, and you're going to be doing some of the, the thrill rides that do offer fast pass, then upgrade. Got it. So what are your general tips for planning? Um, what do you like if people are trying to plan a trip to Disneyland? How would you suggest they go about doing that? 
Yeah, I mean, Disneyland can be done much more last minute, I think, because it is a locals park. People don't plan as much in advance, and so the competition is not quite as crazy as it is over there on, in Orlando. Um, I'm usually planning my my trips just a couple months in advance. The The key timeline that you need to know is the dining reservation window. That opens 60 days in advance at Disneyland. And some of them, it, dining's getting hotter at Disneyland. It used to be you could get a reservation you know, a week or two in advance for pretty much everything that you wanted. These days, the popular restaurants are selling out the dining packages for like the parade viewing and the fireworks viewing and not the fireworks, but the, the nighttime shows, Fantasmic and things like that. Those are, those are actually going pretty fast as well for people who want the premium seating. Um, so you do, you do have to plan in advance for the dining reservations and the hotels you have to plan in advance for if you want to stay on property because the availability is just so small with just three hotels. Those do sell out at peak periods well in advance. But other than that, you know, you can be planning your Disneyland vacation a few days in advance like I tend to do. It's not as crucial to make it your your life's work. So speaking of dining, are there any like must-have reservations that you would recommend or are there any must-try places to eat for someone who's going for the first time? Yeah, dining is, isn't as much of a thing at Disneyland as, as at Disney World. I'd say char- the character meals are always very popular, and they're down to only four restaurants with character meals. One of them, Ariel's Grotto, closed last year to make way for a, a new a new restaurant called Lamp Like Lounge on Pixar Pier. So those are ones to snag in advance, especially if you want sort of the, the most popular times, like dinner at 6 p.m. at Goofy's Kitchen. That's, you know, going to be very popular Blue Bayou is my family's absolute favorite restaurant. My husband and I have gone on a date night there for, you know, <laughs> back before we had children, before we were even married. That was our place to go for date night. And that does tend to, to sell out in advance. Some of the, the fanciest, like Napa Rose, is probably one of the most well-reviewed restaurants. I think just because it's so expensive, maybe don't go as quickly. So if you're a foodie... You can often snag Napa Rose or Steakhouse 55, um, Carthay Circle sometimes within a few weeks in advance. Those are the, the I'd say, signature restaurants at Disneyland. All right. And if I'm planning a trip out there, you know, how many days, what's kind of like the ideal time frame you think for a first time visitor to Disneyland? The magic number for me is three days because I do not think that you can do every park or each park in a single day. And there's just so much going on and, you know, the lines are going to build before you can hit all of the rides in, in every park. So that's usually what I say is the, the three day is, is best for first timers. Um, if you try to come for one day, which a lot of people do, they're in LA, they're doing something else. And they're just like, let's hop over to Disneyland for the day. You're going to feel stressed. <laughs> um, and just be, if you, if that is your strategy, then, you know, just expect that you're not going to get everything done and maybe confine your visit to just one park and try to knock that one park out as much as you can. And and one thing I should say also about the three-day tickets the, that's very important is three-day tickets, if you buy them not from Disney in person, but if you buy them in advance from Disney or in advance from some of the third-party discount resellers, they come with one magic morning and magic morning is early entry into Disneyland park, not California adventure, just Disneyland. But that is huge for being able to ride some of the fantasy land attractions that you might want to ride with young kids. And, you know, that's, it's, it's only three days a week. Uh, I have to remind myself of what those days are. I think 
don't quote me on this, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday is what I believe they are, but I'll have to double check. And yeah, getting into that the park early to Disneyland, especially if you have young kids, is when you can get the most attractions done. So so that really makes the three-day tickets valuable in my mind because they do come with that magic morning. So three-day ticket from Disney, then you get a magic morning either Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday. You have to choose one. Yes. You don't have to choose in advance, but you, yeah, once you scan in that one morning, then it's it like not available. It uses that up or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. It's tied, tied to the ticket, but you cannot get this if you buy tickets at the gate. So just be aware of that. Um, a reason to, to plan ahead. If you just walk up to the turnstiles that that will not be available. But you can get it from undercover tourists or whoever. Yeah. Getaway today is an undercover tourist and um, pretty much anywhere you buy tickets in advance. Also not good on military tickets, I believe, but everybody else. Yeah. It's worth buying in advance. All right. Awesome. That is a uh, great tip. And you got me itching to go to LA, which is not something I say very often, or I guess um, Anaheim would be a more accurate. Before we get out of here, would you have a, well, I'm sure you have a million Disney do's and don'ts for Disneyland. What have you chosen? What is the cream of the crop for your Disney do's and don'ts? All right. The Disney do that I have for you today is I think you absolutely should. You get a park hopper on multi-day trips. That's always an extra that people debate about, you know, to park hop or not. And at Disney World, because the parks are so far apart from each other, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense to park hop and it's worth the savings. But if you're going on a multi-day trip, it's not that much more to add the park hopper option. One day, you know, you can definitely feel it because it's the difference between basically $100 and $100. Uh, more than $50 now, maybe $60 these days. Is, that's that's a big difference to pay for just one day where you're not going to be able to, to use it as much. But if you are on a multi-day ticket, do park hop. And I mean, I, I sometimes will park hop in a single day five times back and forth because they are just so close to each other. All right. Awesome tips. Um, anything else before we get out of here? That's all I got, Joe. Until Disneyland 201 and 301 and 401. <laughs> Welcome to the Disneyland Deciphered podcast. it's my dream one day one day one day after we get bought out all right so if you want to know more about disneyland i highly suggest you go to leslie's website tripswithtikes.com that's where you can find all her disneyland content and it's great there's a lot out there not only for traveling with little kids to disneyland but just overall tips and tricks for handling disneyland in general what you need to know about the holidays etc etc so please go check that out. Final episodes of this podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com. And you can contact us at any time with questions, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, or you have suggestions for things that you would like us to cover. You know, we're all ears. We really appreciate it. If you could leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, that'll really just help us to continue to help this podcast to grow. Other than that, Leslie, thanks so much for sharing your expertise about Disneyland today. Of course, Joe. We will talk to all of you later. And Leslie, I will see you at Downtown Disney. Thanks, Joe. The drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. 
No cost units provided by Strayer University affiliates Sophia Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef.